everyone. This is Sarah Mason from the HMC Network. This is Jake Essel from the HMC Network. And we are here with cinematographer Lawrence Schur, whose credits include The Hangover Trilogy, mm. Garden State, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. He directed uh, Father Figures, and most recently, Joker. Hey. Joker. Hello, Hi. sir. How you doing? Congratulations, yes. by the way, on the success of Joker. It just is about to reach 900 million. It's bonkers. It's insane. It's actually insane. I it's bonkers. It. That's uh, well beyond anybody's expectations, I think. I think we all thought it was a good movie and we were proud of it and that it could make people their money back mm-hmm. and no one was going to get hurt, as they say. But uh, this is beyond the pale. This is amazing. Yeah. I saw it for the first time yesterday. All right. And you're helping that 900 <laughs> right. sneak it in on the back end. And was truly mesmerized. One of the things that I mean it definitely feels like a 1970s movie in terms of I, I mean I kept thinking of the exorcist when I saw the ascending and descending of stairs. Oh, that's cool analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We definitely set out to make a movie that as Todd and I would discuss, that felt like it could have been made in that era. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as much that we were trying to mimic the look, because if you actually line them up, the looks are sort of more different than people might suspect. But the handmade quality of those movies, the fact that those movies often were like real character studies, and they they weren't sort of in the traditional mode of how movies are today... And the way that we have constructed movies and other things like that. So I think the vibe and the energy of the movie is like a 70s or an early 80s movie. And I think that's certainly what we were going for. How? What was the process in terms of setting up all the... And I know you do a lot of prep work. How much was that thought out in terms of there's so many stairs and <laughs> you know the sh- that sequ- those sequences, it's hard to not notice that. Yeah, I mean, prep is such an integral part to every movie. And, and on this one, we started fairly early. And, and a large part of prep in the early stages is really location scouting. Because in a movie like this, which has some builds and has stage work for sure, the locations and the sort of that key location of where his apartment would be is such a big part to establishing the world that you're building and the tone of the movie. And... What were some of the locations? Yeah, so so that stairwell that stairwell is like 160th, 67th Street in uh, in the Bronx, mm-hmm. kind of near Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. and we were actually vacillating between a lower sort of tenement style building with a huge courtyard and these three buildings in Brooklyn, and we kept going back and forth between that look. And this Bronx look, that look, this Bronx look, back and forth all the way until, and, and, and of course, because, it, you know, Todd is the ultimate arbiter, and he really made a great decision here. He kept, he, like you said, was just really mesmerized by this idea of going up and down, and that, that analogous sort of thing to what his character is doing, and the, the, the journey that we take, and the ascension, and the dissension. And also just those stairs are arduous. They really are. And I think that idea that this is part of his everyday life, I think pushed that over the edge. And now it's become, I think it's like a religious site. uh, Instagram. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I saw a video in which somebody came around the corner and made this great reveal. And there were 40 people on the stairs, like (sighs) six of them in makeup, all making videos. It's, It's insane. 
just yeah. because of that location? Yeah, that location oh, yeah. has become so iconic, and, and it is. It's really, and that's what's beautiful and, and really credit to Todd for sort of ultimately realizing that was a much more distinctive location than the other one, even though that one was also interesting and visual um, because it's really it really sets the stage for what the tone of Gotham is, for what the movie is. It's a really early piece in the movie, him walking up those stairs. And I love, obviously, symbolically what it says about his character and even the mirror of it at the end when he's now sort of coming down the stairs, yes. maybe going down into the darkest part of his own humanity, but also celebrating it with dancing on the stairs. So... Yeah, it's an important location. And and that's really what prep is about, right? It's like, it, it's interesting. Prep is such a a huge part of, of the job, and it's in a lot of ways the most stressful part. Because in a weird way, you're making the movie creatively every day. When you're making a movie, interestingly enough, the shooting of the movie is the most fun part, at least for me, not for all, all people. Some directors can't stand it. They love the writing. For me, as a shooter, I love the days making the movie because that... Every day you're just executing and you're problem solving in real time and you have this limited amount of time. So all that downward pressure of time and resources and, and the sort of energy, that really you know, lifts me up and makes, it makes the days go really fast and all that. When you're prepping, it's all cerebral mm. and it's all thinking and you're, all you're doing all day long is thinking of all the possibilities you can do. And you're also thinking about many, many days of work every day. So it's, it's, your brain is actually really taxed. Um, and, and, and the best part about prep is that it gives you now an opportunity before you've even shot one frame of film to explore all those possibilities. And so it's really worthy you know, of, the, of the, the movie to constantly explore, constantly revisit, challenge. If, if this is feeling good for three weeks and then suddenly it's really not feeling bad, pivot, all those things. And so that's what, uh, that's the, what prep provides for you. That's a lot of troubleshooting like, yes. before you start actually recording stuff, picking up stuff. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, but it would be pretty uh, nerve-wracking, I'd imagine, like you said, because you're preparing down the road with prep and you haven't actually shot anything yet. Yeah, it's both nerve-wracking and freeing. Mm. And, and Todd and I have made six films together. Yeah, talk about your relationship with Todd Phillips, who is notably did the... The Hangover trilogy, uh, many other great films, and which were comedies that looked like sexy action dramas. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's what separates them from the, the pack of like Fairly Brothers that look like sketches. That that movie always looked they always look kind of sexy and, and action packed, and then extremely funny. And then that sort of happens in the Joker. You know what I mean? Where it's not extremely funny, but there's these really funny moments that stand out through this really dark dark atmosphere that you capture for this movie i appreciate that we, our philosophy of making movies together and we met just before making the hangover uh hasn't changed and in a lot of ways making joker is no real different than what we were doing 10 11 years ago making hangover um we always we, you know todd's one of those filmmakers particularly as a comedic director who never chases the joke his philosophy is chase the scene chase the story chase the character and the jokes will play within that, that, those confines. So for us, we were always under the conceit of like, let's make a movie that's as cinematic as it can be, as visual as it can be. All these movies deserve to be as, as sort of good cinematically, and they're deserving of that 
in the same way as any drama or any action movie. And we treat it the same. As if it feels like an action scene, we should shoot it like an action scene. We never treated it like a quote-unquote comedy. Um, and that philosophy hasn't wavered for us on six films. But on the prep side, one of the things that's great about Todd, um, and it's been real a, a real part of our filmmaking together, is that even if it's the last possible second... If there's a better idea, and it doesn't mean he's, he's actually incredibly decisive, but he's also really flexible. And he also won't go down a path, the wrong path, simply because it's a plan. And so, I mean, even on Hangover, and it was our first experience together, and we, the scene in which Chow... Yeah, Leslie Chow jumps out of the back of the, the car naked. That maybe is the funniest I mean, scene in the film. Yeah. Scene, it's right? an amazing scene. And that's a really tricky thing because, of course, we're trying to sort of in Hangover tell the story of like what happens in Vegas during the day. Everyone always sees Vegas at night. But what's Vegas during the day? And what's the Vegas like behind the casinos? And so that location was really important. But we had chosen a location because we wanted to obviously see the strip. We were in Vegas. We weren't going to shoot this in Los Angeles. That scene, it was a chance to exploit the environment. We found an empty parking lot, not too dissimilar than what the movie has in it. But it just never sat well with me. Hmm. And we were scouting it. We even tech scouted it. It means you're ready to go. You're going to shoot it. And it was like the weekend before we shot it. And it just kept gnawing on me and gnawing. And I'm like, Todd, we should find another location. It doesn't feel like it's, it's the right one. It feels like we can beat this. We can find something better. And so we went out on the weekend with a location manager, and we were like, this beats it. And the one that we ended up with. And Todd is like, then this is where we're going to go. And so we switched everything around. And, and that's a good example of the location makes such a difference. Even though the scene, of course, is going to be paramount. And everyone remembers the physicality of the scene. But that location matters too, and it's all part of. It's all those little decisions are, are things that happen every movie, and and when you say it's sort of stressful, the only stressful part, and it happens every movie Todd and I have done together, is after we do it and we realize, oh my god, this was so much better. We always go, what the hell? What if we didn't do that? What if we just carried on and didn't discover the new plan? That would have been terrible. Like yeah. we would have had like such a worse scene, or we wouldn't have. And and yet, I think every time we've done that, and that happens all the time, it's I guess it's like it's meant to be. And the ones that we didn't change were also meant to be in a way. So as long as we're constantly keeping our eyes open to the possibility of something better, and to constantly challenge ourselves to like not settle. I think we always end up in something that we feel is the right thing. Did that happen in Joker? Was there anything that you started with and then realized? I mean, it sounds like Todd I mean, really trusts you, too, to like completely go by your gut and say, we're going to find the other thing, and it was the perfect thing. Yeah, we, we do it together. And that because that was an early part of our experience on Hangover, I think it established that both of us can constantly challenge the scene. Right, so I'm always I'm always aware that I could show up on any day, and we could have a whole plan set up, and Todd could say doesn't feel right, or I've been talking to Joaquin, and let's do it a hundred percent different. Let's just change everything, throw it all out, and and I'm totally down with that, and I can also go to him. This doesn't feel right. Can we change this? And he'll often you know change it as well. So I think it's just become a real trust thing for us, and and of course on Joker. It happened in early on in the movie. You know, I think the bathroom scene is a good example when he dances and sort of becomes his metamorphosis. That was a totally different scene. 
And that was just part of Todd and Joaquin working out the character as you're making the movie, which is also one of those things that I've really learned from Todd and together is that the movie, the script can be amazing and you kind of constantly work on that. You cast it, you do all these things, you get everything in pieces, but you're really making the movie and discovering what the movie is as you're making it. You're not just making the movie. You're actually rewriting the movie. You're, you're changing things. You're, you're discovering things every day that become part of the, the fabric of what the movie becomes. And Joker was a perfect example of that because we constantly adjust the movie as we made it. And that bathroom scene, it was going to be more story and he was going to hide the gun and wash his makeup off and all these things. And it was Todd and Joaquin, after talking about it, came up with this idea of let's do a non-verbal, non-linear, sort of just an abstract version of what his his reaction to what he's just done in the subway. And then it became, okay, we're not going to do anything we planned and just stick a camera in there. Don't tell the camera operator what's going to happen. Joaquin's going to walk in, he's going to close the door and then see what happens. And sometimes it's great because we may have planned a whole day of work and then suddenly it's like, okay, we're done in two hours. Because we figure out a much simpler way. You know, and then other times it's the opposite. That scene was one of the most pivotal scenes Extremely in the movie. effective. Yeah. Yes, to, to scrap everything that you had planned and then to just let it go and then have it be extremely effective to the audience. Like, that was something I wanted to bring up is that blue tonality. Like, the whole first act, it's blue. I feel like that was a big part of his metamorphosis like when he was down on his luck he hadn't discovered the side of him he hasn't doesn't you know he's getting dumped on it's just blue is everywhere it's like omnipresent throughout the first act and then that metamorphosis inside the bathroom you cut to next and there's all of a sudden more yellows and reds and like the world isn't so uh dragged down by this blue tonal sort of feel and i don't know if that was intentional or not but that scene in that bathroom really showed to me at least the metamorphosis and then like him rising out of that more crazy but yet more sane for it or something like more a part of the world is brilliant yeah there's a lot of color work in the movie the movies obviously has a lot of color and some aggressive color in it on the note of of more on the performance level one of the things that made that scene so important was because it was a non-verbal non-traditional way of expressing what was maybe on the page i think that became a running theme that and this is what makes Joaquin amazing, is that we didn't have to do things with words, or we didn't have to necessarily follow a traditional storytelling structure, is that suddenly now we could just be living with Joaquin in his space and in his headspace, and that could tell a large part of the story. Color-wise, for sure. I mean, blue is a very isolating color. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it's, it has a certain sort of you know, effect, I think, emotionally on, on what we see. So there's no, no doubt there's a lot of blue in his life by himself. There is some warmth with his mom because early on in the movie, there's still a sense that that's the one place where he has some love mm-hmm. and some affection, mm-hmm. right? He, he yeah. takes care of his mom. They're, they're a part of each other's life. He helps wash her in the bath, those kind of like almost nurturing. Right. And that has some of the most clean and warm color in the movie. But when he's alone at night and he's watching TV and playing with the gun and those kind of things, it's blue. It's like he's just in the blue light of the TV. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's just the emotional aspect of if you are up all night, there's a lot of insomnia in the movie. 
I feel like we always think of it as, as feeling like either you're in the moonlight, not necessarily in the city or in a, the light bathed of a, of a TV, but that there's a certain loneliness to that blue. Totally. Um, and then in the subway, it's in this sort of very ugly green, which is like, of course, this transitional moment in his life. But then he runs through that section of the park underneath the uh, the bridge mm-hmm. when he's running to the bathroom, which is all in that very warm. Because that's a transition now into his next life, probably the life that he was meant to be and the one he's going to embrace. Um, and then there's a bit of mixed light in that bathroom. There's both the uncorrected green, right, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of like the transformational color, and then there's some of the sodium vapor in the, in the background. So it's a bit of a mixed light thing. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we tried... I like mixing color. I like having a lot of color. Uh, I think the fact that it was a, it was in the comic book genre, even though we didn't set out to make a comic movie, certainly gave me, you know, uh, freedom to to not be afraid of color. Mm-hmm. We weren't seeking out these kind of primaries that you might traditionally think of in a comic book movie, quote unquote. More of this dirty, realistic. The color palette that exists in the city for real. Yeah. Um, if you just photographed it, particularly back in the day when the mix, when the light was all mixed color. Yeah. So those were the kind of things that drove the color and the in and, and the movie. It it is really interesting what you were just saying about how you had free reign because it was the comic book. The way you guys built that story into this story that really just felt like a gritty drama was quite genius. I mean, particularly the. The Wayne, the Bruce Wayne story, and how that all came about. How much of the script was driving this versus his performance, and also just what you guys were doing? The general structure of the script stayed pretty much the same. The tie-ins to the to the uh, DC IP mm-hmm. and the the way it's woven in that was pretty Fluid. pretty early on, and I always loved mm-hmm. that too because although certainly Todd set out not to make, let's say, a traditional comic movie. I think he was well aware, and I think to, I, I agree, I think I really enjoy the fact that he, he, he was able to weave in just enough of that mm-hmm. to really make it feel like, wow, this really is an origin story, or this could be an origin story, or whatever way you, you think about it. And I love the little tie-ins. I love that scene when he when he meets Bruce and he's just like a little kid oh. at the at the fence outside of his home, and you realize, oh my God, this is two of the most iconic DC characters meeting each other in a world in which they don't understand yet what this means. And yeah. I thought those those kind of things, even for somebody who's not a massive comic book fan, I think they were exciting for me we because are. it was a <laughs> very unique spin. Well, man. it's good that the yeah. people that are good comic yeah. fans are happy with it because we were aware that there were a lot of lights being shined on us and that, of course, the, the, the fans were going to either have it out for us or certainly like go, hey, what you guys going to do? We're watching. And oh, so yeah. we knew that. Not that we were sort of conscious of trying to sort of placate it. It was more like, let's do the thing that that we're setting out to do. And we think if we do it the way we imagine we're going to do it, they'll be, people will be happy. Mm, and from what I've heard from fans, you know, both oh, no, sides no, of the it aisle, made me chills. I they're mean, like into yeah, it, right? I mean, that moment when I remember turning to you because I saw well, the I little kid and it. I'm like, Oh my God! It's Bruce Wayne. Oh my God! I just started well, just freaking have Joker out. Joker put his fingers in that in the mouth of Bruce Wayne. It's like you're, you've never could imagine that as yeah. a comic book fan. I think it's yeah. super daring and like a super out of left field choice. 
and it, it, it absolutely slayed, in my opinion, and the mm-hmm. numbers show. I mean, yeah. people were blown away, I think. I was, Alfred Pennyworth gets choked. Like, you're setting <laughs> wheels in motion of something. Like, I can't believe you guys took this approach, and it's freaking like, one of the most creative approaches to the IP I've ever seen it or read. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, wow, you cool. got your and fingers in this guy's you mouth. Yeah, I know. There's yeah. some real iconic things. Yeah, and I, I've said, like, my reaction, having been obviously a huge part of making it, understanding all the pieces, being part of some of the early edits and some notes, but then stepping away from it for a month or so while Todd completed it. When I saw it the final time, we were doing like a little bit of color timing, but I finally got to see the movie in its entirety in an audience of about 400 people at Warner Brothers. And my reaction at the end was so visceral, as if I'd never been a part of the movie. It was, I was so overcome by like, the scene when he's basically at the end, when he's standing on a cop car and, you know, I don't know if spoilers or whatever, but, it's but, okay. <laughs> but I was thinking so viscerally that this world that now is taken over Gotham, this, this world of chaos, like the cops can't help them. Like this is a Gotham that is going to be in a really bad place for the next five years. And I had this real palpable reaction of like, this this city's gonna need Batman. Mm-hmm. This is gonna yes. like, that kid better grow up fast, fast I know. man. Yeah. That little kid who's alone now yeah. and living with this like image of this guy in a mask killing his parents. He better get started because they're gonna need him. Like yes. if you go too long, this city is gonna be at a really bad spot. So I just kept thinking, wow, a seventeen-year-old like uh, Batman to come, you know, or and when he has his sort of transition. Uh, it's going to be a really ugly city, like much mm. more, you know, in a real place of, of just uh, of trouble than almost I feel like palpably I feel in maybe other Batman movies. Speaking of that, is there anything you can tell us in terms of how these universes are going to? I can't tell you. I can't tell you anything, <laughs> mostly because I don't know, because I think generally, you know. He didn't want to. He wasn't setting out to make a sequel. It's a standalone. It doesn't. Yeah. It was always yeah. meant to be a standalone thing. Thank and you. I honestly I haven't even talked to Todd uh, about it one on one. All I can say is I know Joaquin loved playing this character. Mm. I think the experience of making this movie was was probably fraught with a lot of anxiety. As great an actor as he is, living in the shadow of the greats who've played this character, particularly Heath and Jack Nicholson yeah. and those kind of guys. Um. I can't speak for Joaquin, but I can sense that there's a lot of pressure. Even a guy who's that good, it's still, there's a lot of pressure. And yet, I think his experience of making the movie was so fulfilling. And I've talked to him about it. He loved making it. He loved playing this character. So my guess is he'll want to do it again. I don't know. And I'm sure Warner's will want to do it again. Well, $900 million. It's hard. At that point, it's it's very difficult uh, to not sort of put pieces in in motion that might might see another one. Yeah. It's got to be pretty fulfilling, too, because... You know, quite honestly, DC's had some misses, so say the fans, you know, Uh, and uh, this is a big hit both critically and, you know, box office. So that's got to be pretty fulfilling. I mean, it's it definitely is for DC fans. Well, it's one character versus, you know, the 19 that the Avengers have. You know what I mean? It's one property, one character, one story. And it's literally one man's story. (laughs) But that shows you the power of the the DC uh, Batman brand and Joker, man. People want those character driven stories. I don't want to watch, you know, space aliens get shot up for two and a half hours. It's only 
so entertaining. But something like this really resonates with the audience all over the world. You got people in Hong Kong wearing Joker masks, man. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, I know. It's, I an, know. it's incredible. It's incredible. I know, and I see the, the reactions that people send and the Instagram stuff and the the real rea- the real like um, general emotional sort of reaction that people have to this movie and the connection they have. I think in some ways because it's only dealing with one character, and maybe that makes it so unique as a recent comic book movie. It's mm-hmm. so internalizing it um, that I th- feel like, in a way, that really services the original comic book intention, right? Like, you buy a comic book, you buy a book, you buy one comic, mm-hmm. or you buy a graphic novel, and you, like anything, the way a novel is different than a movie, you can then bring your own emotional connection as you're reading it, right? It's like, and, and in a weird way, I feel like uh, one of the things I'm really happy about with this movie is I feel like. We did, in the end, make an actual comic book movie. We made a real com- a movie that, that actually feels a lot like a comic book because I think of the emotional connection. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's not just all the, the techniques that you have in filmmaking, but that we were able to sort of translate the emotional connection people have to comic books on screen in a way that maybe is, is different than even people expected. And even maybe we expected. And in a weird way, it's like it's only after finalizing it and seeing its effect that you realize, oh, right, we did actually make a comic book movie. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, <laughs> the best one. Yeah, like, oh, my goodness. I think that's a good place to leave it. Good luck on the uh, award season circuit because you're getting a lot of buzz. If you don't get an Oscar nomination, I'm never watching the Oscars ah, again. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. And if Joaquin doesn't yeah, win an Oscar for this. You deserve you know. a nod on this yeah, one. Yeah, you really oh, thank do. You guys. The I whole film. And thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.